Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Dayton Moore, General Manager for the Kansas City Royals. God uses the people that are willing. Not the smartest, not the prettiest. Um, doesn't, doesn't matter what family you came from. He, he's willing. He's, he wants to use us all. You just got to surrender and go do it. Let him use you. Well, hey, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert and uh, the host of Bottom Line Faith. We are so grateful that you've joined us for today's program. You know that this is the program where we travel the country and we get the incredible opportunity to interview some of America's top Christ followers in business and in leadership, in, in private enterprise, in sports and entertainment, and even government leadership. And so uh, we're just so glad that you've joined us today. We like to learn how these Christ followers, how they lead, how they make decisions, and yes, how they fail. But most importantly, how does their faith guide them on a daily basis in the marketplace? Well, I hope you can see that I have an incredible logo behind me here. We are at the winter, actually spring training home of the Kansas City Royals in Surprise, Arizona. And folks, I am so thrilled to welcome our guest to today's program, Mr. Dayton Moore, the general manager. Dayton, hey, welcome you doing, to man? Bottom Line Good Faith. You. Yep. You're so kind. Thank you for taking the time nice to be today. Here. So this really, it's not as if there isn't a busy time of year in your role as general manager of a major league baseball team. But this has to be among the busiest because so many important decisions are being made about not only this year's organization but for the future. Why is it that you would take some time to be with us on a program called Bottom Line Faith and, and share with us today? Well, let me say this. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Um, I feel if there's anything good in me at all, it comes from God. So I'm humbled that, that you would be here today. But, you know, spring training is really the most spectacular time of the year. It's an opportunity for our entire leadership group to be together day in and day out. Often doesn't occur throughout the season. Everybody's you know, going here and there throughout the minor leagues and different places, scouting players for the draft. And, and then we have all of our coaches, all of our instructors, all of our managers, all of our support staff, our medical team, our strength conditioning coaches. We're all here together. So it's, it's an incredible opportunity to set the vision of the organization. It's, uh, it's an exciting challenge uh, to come alongside of, of, of our people and, and just do life with them. So uh, it, it's an incredible time. But you know, any, it, when you get an opportunity to, to discuss your faith and, and, uh, and give honor to God who is why we exist and why we're here, it's, uh, that's even more special. That's fantastic. So in preparation for our time together, I, I learned some things. And uh, you've, you were hired here in 2006, so your 12th roughly season here, right within the Royals. Prior to that, and folks, I, I'm a lifelong baseball fan. I played at, at college ball and so forth. And prior to coming here, we're going to talk about your history here, but mm -hmm. you were a part of the Atlanta Braves organization. 
Tell us a little bit about your background there and then something that the Braves did while you were there that's never been done before. Well, you know, I was a college coach um, for five years and then in 1994 the Braves approached us about uh, being a scout uh, in the mid-Atlantic states and I initially turned them down because my focus was on college coaching and that's what I wanted to do. But as I examined it and as we prayed through it, uh, we, we felt it was the right opportunity. Of course, the Braves were really beginning uh, a time in, in their history where they were solidifying themselves as one of the great organizations in the history of baseball. And so we joined the Braves. I was going to do it for four years and get back into uh, college coaching. And then one thing led to another and, and uh, opportunities uh, began to present themselves. We moved down to Atlanta in 1996, Marianne and I, with our oldest daughter, Ashley, who was eight months at the time. And so um, it was just an incredible journey. Uh, I had terrific mentors around me, people that poured into me, people that guided, uh, mm -hmm. guided me. I learned from them. And then um, this opportunity with the Royals presented itself in, in May of 2006. And uh, the neat thing about it was the Royals were my boyhood team. And okay. so, uh, and, and I never really consumed myself with wanting to be a general manager. And in fact, uh, we had a couple opportunities to be a GM prior to the Royals opening up. And, uh, but I was committed to being you know, with the Braves and, and um, you know, our family was thriving in Atlanta. And, uh, but when the Royals called, I was interested. I met with uh, Mr. Glass and Dan Glass. And uh, again, this opportun opportunity presented itself and uh, here we are. So that's awesome. So while you were with the Braves, you, your organization won 14 straight division titles. Well, we were, as I said, we were fortunate to be it's a, a dynasty. Yeah, we, we were a part of, you know, some terrific people, you know, from Bobby Cox to John Sherholtz to Paul Snyder and Donnie Williams. And I can go on and on mm. with uh, the people that were so instrumental in building that organization. But we, we had some pretty good players. And, you know, four of them are now in the Hall of Fame and uh, Chipper Jones is being inducted, uh, you know, this this year. Uh, obviously, John Smoltz. Tommy Glavin, Greg Maddox, John Scherholz, Bobby Cox, all Hall of Famers, but a terrific time uh, in Royals, um, or excuse me, Braves history, and uh, I was fortunate to be a part of it. So when you came here in 06, um, we were talking prior to coming on camera, there hadn't been a lot of um, winning seasons immediately prior to your coming here. Right. And, uh, but you came in with an idea of what, it, what you wanted to do in terms of building the culture. Would you speak to those early days, you know, first days, first week on the job, as you set out your goals, as you set out your objectives for the organization, what were they and how did you go about determining those well, things? Well, let me say this. If, if I could have looked into a crystal ball and, um, and uh, experienced in, in some way uh, what the challenges were going to be, the criticism that we would endure, the taxation of what that would do to your family, uh, just the challenges of building an organization from the ground up uh, in professional sports, there's no way I would have taken the job. Wow. Um, and so I think God kind of protected us from that. And, um, and so when we came here, uh, and, and, and most of the baseball world felt we couldn't win here in Kansas City. That small market team, yeah, yeah. not a lot you of know, history. And the game had changed. Yeah. You know, at one time, yeah. the, the Royals back in the 70s and the 80s, they were the model organization in baseball. In fact, they had a higher payroll at times than the New York Yankees during oh, wow. that era. Yeah. But the, the game had changed. The economics were, were vastly different uh, when we came here. And so um, a lot of people didn't think we could win. And uh, after being here for two to three months, evaluating every um, 
uh, aspect of our organization, all of our players, our processes, I became convinced we weren't going to win either. Mm. I mean, and uh, so what, what we decided to do was let's just, um, let's just build uh, an organization where uh, it's a great place to work. Uh, where we can represent the game of baseball, represent the Royals uh, in a class way with integrity, do grow the game in our city, be an example of, of how you're supposed to lead. And so that's what we set out to do. Let's just build the culture. Let's build the environment. We're not going to be so attached to winning a World Series that we are deflated and defeated in the day-to-day -day processes because there's very few days in the game of baseball where you put your head on the pillow at night where you just said, my gosh, we just had a perfect day. Everything went great. It's just the opposite. Right. I mean, you're managing dysfunction, truthfully, and uh, you, you're you're trying to predict the outcomes of players between the ages of 16 and 25 with freedom and, and, and choices of men. But honestly, the responsibility as boys because they're they're playing this game. So it's it's very challenging. Um, but fortunately, um, you know, we've had a great group of people here. We've had unbelievable support from the Glass family, unbelievable support from our fans. And, uh, but we just tried to, to do everything we can to build a culture and build an environment uh, that uh, would represent the Royals and the game of baseball well. Well, so that sounds to me like a slow build. That sounds to me like patience and integrity and character, right? And so ultimately, though, you, you did experience the ultimate pinnacle of success, reaching the World Series two years in a row, back in 14, losing in a heartbreaking yeah. seven-game loss, right, to the Giants, but coming back the next year and winning in five to become the 2015 World Series champions. Everybody loves those, like, <laughs> right. rags to riches stories. Right. Like, But in that journey, Dayton, what was most rewarding? What was most fulfilling to you, you know, from those early days to the pinnacle? Well, look, looking back, I mean, and what you what you mentioned obviously is what the world celebrates you know we've we, we've had um, more gold glove winners than any team in baseball from 2011 to 2017 we've had more all-stars than any team in the american league from 2013 to 2017 uh, the first small market team to win a world series in the modern era let alone go to back-to-back -back world championships right, right. the attendance we've drawn the television ratings all record uh, in, in our market, and so we're very proud of that. But when you reflect back on our journey, what, what we're most proud of is that we had a group of people come together uh, at a time in their life where personally and professionally, it was moving very, very fast. Uh, young fathers, young husbands, with the responsibilities of what you have to do to raise your children, and then the high pressure demands of professional sports. And so when we won a World Series, what I reflected back on is, you know what? It's pretty cool that all of our families stayed together. The marriages stayed strong. Their kids are thriving. And so, uh, and, and, and one of the things we've always emphasized is, look, don't miss birthdays, don't miss anniversaries, don't miss special occasions. Uh, you're not getting that time back. In fact, figure out um, how much time in your life that it takes you to be a great husband, to be uh, a great father, and then give the Royals everything else once that is completed. And that's been the message that we've, we have tried to portray to all of our players. From my days in Atlanta when I was overseeing scout and player development, we would tell players, look, you're genetically gifted. You're special. You're a professional athlete. But you need to focus on being a great son, being a great brother, being a great teammate, and then one day grow up to be a great husband and a great uh, uh, father one day. That, that's, that's the mission. That's the goal. I mean, you're, you're, we're trying to, this is bigger than baseball. 
we're simply just trying to be an example of, of, of what manhood should uh, look like. That, that's so refreshing. You know, we, and we're going to get to some questions about specifically about your faith and integrating and how you live that out. But, but professional sports, sports in general, it's all about performance. That's all it is, right? But what I just heard was the importance of understanding that we're talking about human beings here. No doubt. And so, you know, our audience here at Bottom Line Faith are generally business leaders, ministry leaders, and that sort of thing. So what would you say to someone who's, you know, we're going back to your 2006 days, you're coming into the organization, you're going to establish culture, you're going to establish a way of doing things that you're going to build upon and let the results take right. care of themselves, right? So what advice would you have for that, maybe that entrepreneur, that, that business leader who's just come into an organization, maybe a new offering, a new whatever, right, right business entity, and they're just determining how they're going to go about doing their business. What, what would you say to encourage them? Well, you know, we were faced with that as well because yeah. uh, it doesn't matter how much success you've had, who your mentors were, until you sit in that chair as a general manager, you're really not prepared to do it. It starts to move very, very quickly. And so we had to hire just a, an enormous amount of people, people that were going to shape our culture because the leaders are the ones shaping your culture. So there was three characteristics that we felt were really, really important. One, uh, our leaders need to be able to apply moral principles in their life, so important. Secondly, they've got to be able to embrace diversity. Yes, different races, different culture, different economic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, the, the, the wisdom and the experience of, uh, of the old, if you will, yeah. and the passion and the fire and the new ideas of the young blended together, you've got to embrace diversity. And then the third thing is you've, you've got to compete and you've got to do it the right way. It's easy to say you're gonna go out and compete, but if we just focus on competing as men, we're gonna jack it up a lot because oftentimes we get caught up in self. We wanna win for self and our pride gets in the way. But So you've gotta compete for one another. So we talk about the importance of competing for each other. So moral principles in your life, embrace diversity, compete for one another. And those were the character traits that we wanted in our leaders. Leaders shape your culture. Now I don't believe we can grow it. I believe it's up. The players have to. They're the one growing the environment, growing the culture. I yeah. mean, we put the seeds in here. Hopefully, the ground's fertile, and we continue to water it, and we pour into it, and uh, hopefully, it grows. Um, but the leaders are the ones simply doing that. We're shaping the culture, and so it's so important that if you want your players to reflect values that you're going to be proud of in your community. Uh, with your fan base, the leaders have to be the ones setting the example. A lot of similarities then between leading an, uh, a professional sports organization, and really it's a business, right, at its core, and running any other company. And so uh, let's say that there's a business owner or leader watching this or listening to this right now, and they're, they're evaluating potential talent to bring mm -hmm. into their organization. And they've got two studs. They've got right. a, a, option A looks like a great option. Option B looks like a great option with two people. Right. What do you and your organization look for when you're looking at two players right. that are both, as you said, genetically gifted, great right. talents? How do you decide which one is going to be a fit? Right. Evaluating talent is, is not that difficult. In fact, we have so much information out there now. It's the most over-evaluated over generation of baseball players ever. And I would go on to say it's the same in, in any profession. We have so much information out there. And so what it comes down to is, um, you know, who's, who can get their heart, their passion, and their mind to line up and to make good decisions on a daily basis. Um, not easy to do. We haven't seen these players fail a lot. Um, and so when they do begin to fail and have setbacks, then their true character will often reveal itself. 
Um, so that's, that's the challenge, it, it really is. But you know, when you're trying to decide that, uh, and you sit down with a player, and, and I get an opportunity to do that quite frequently, I wanna know who their mentors are. I wanna know, and I hope like heck, the, these, these young men say their father, but we know that's not always the case. Right. Um, but what male role model in their life had the most influence on them and why? Um, who were the players that they modeled themselves after? and why what about people's character do you admire and where have um, where have those people made their mistakes and were they accountable for their mistakes and how did they um, respond in times of trouble i mean those are the things that you want to try to predict uh, if you can and then you have to ask questions you have to sit down one-on-one -on -one yeah. and try to to value or decide that and so uh, it's 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 not easy and we're, we make mistakes. And then when we do make mistakes with players, um, we try to come alongside of them and help them grow from their mistakes. It's, it's easy just to, to cast the players off and get another guy. The challenge is, uh, and, and, and the important, char the charge of it all is, and the mandate that we try to have is, how can we help grow these guys? We gotta understand that uh, uh, we got to put programs in place, character and leadership programs in place. They're going to help nurture them and help them grow into the men that we want them to be. Yeah. And um, so we, we try to stay with them when they do fail. Yeah. So as you mentioned, there's a, a constant stream of new evaluation, new players and so forth. So obvious, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it would seem to me one of the most difficult parts of your job is sitting across the table from a young man and tell him at least pursuing of his dream here may be at an end, at least for the time being. Um, what advice would you have for a business leader if they're, they're having to have a similar conversation? They're sitting across the table from someone and saying, look, it's just not a fit, it's not working out. How, how does that work? Well, you know, one of the things, and, and this is where uh, my faith comes in, okay? Yeah. so. Um, I'll spend time in prayer about players that are going to potentially join our organization. Spend time in prayer about um, uh, if you have to let somebody go, and, and those are the, the difficult ones, of course. Um, but when you when you come to uh, a piece about that, I mean, you just I'm, I'm very direct with the individual and uh, try to explain to them, you know, why we're making this decision. Right. Uh, I had to sit down with a, a player last week. And, um, and tell him that uh, you know, we were moving on and we were bringing in another player. And, and um, you, know, you, you just you, you explain it in a very honest and upfront way. Um, that's the best way to do it. Don't sugarcoat anything. Yeah. You, you, you wanna do it uh, certainly with the player's best interest in mind. And, and what I find is with, when you're dealing with professional athletes, again, they're, they're highly competitive. They've been very successful. They're used to overcoming adversity. That's truly why they are where they are. They've adapted in life, and uh, uh, it, it's. I, I try to encourage them that it's a springboard, uh, potentially on to something else. Take the experience that you've gained here, the things mm -hmm. that you've learned, the things that you haven't liked, and go apply them in uh, a different field. And um, you know, we wish them the best and. But you just, you've got to be very upfront and very direct, uh, you know, with, with the players. And I find that's, that's the best way. It's best for you and for them. It is. Right, ultimately, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that um, I like to ask our guest is, um, what's one thing about your um, job or career that you think people would be surprised to find out? 
Well, I, I think one of the questions that, that um, gets asked of me a lot is, do you think the fans really want you to put a lot of time and energy into the character and leadership aspect of it instead of just developing them as, as athletes, developing them as talents, um, don't get caught up into uh, how they're managing their personal lives. And so that's one of the, the, the questions I get asked a lot. And, and how I respond is very simple. One, if you can get the players to make good choices off the field, it's going to free them up for their natural talent to just take over on the field when the umpire says play ball. Baseball is a game where it requires so much concentration, so much focus, um, and uh, you know there's 13 to 18 minutes of actual activity in a nine-inning baseball yeah, crazy, game right? when you exclude <laughs> the pitcher and the catcher. So there's a lot that goes through these guys' minds, and so. Uh, usually when you trace it back to why a player is, is struggling, assuming they're healthy, it's usually something that they're dealing with uh, you know, in their personal life. And uh, so we, we spend a lot of time trying to, to uh, help them manage that and coming alongside them, let them know that we don't value them uh, based on, as, as an individual, as a person. We don't value them based on how they're performing as a baseball player. Again, we, we care about them as a person, and I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we just spent uh, two days with here early in camp is the harmful effects of pornography. And so wow. we are addressing that, you know, with our young players. And so I know as a, as a, as a player myself, um, we, we saw pornography in our 20s, and um, these kids are now seeing it when they're 13, 14 yeah. Yeah. years old, and it's having a major effect, and all the scientific information that we have now, what it's doing to rewire their brain. We yeah. know what it does to relationships. Yeah. We know uh, the, the, the casualties that are in our community and the families that have been destroyed because of it. We understand that, whether the world wants to admit it or not. And so we want to tackle those tough issues. Wow. This is a platform. This is simply a platform to, to help you know, these guys become uh, you know, great husbands and great fathers. Well. I don't know if we're going to keep this in the interview or not, because I, I have a reputation that I need to protect, too. I may have to replace my red Cincinnati hat as a lifelong red fan. <laughs> I'm going to put on the KC blue. But here you talk about that what you're addressing, and you're, and you're emotional about this. No, I'm very intense about Th it. This, I'm, I'm, I'm so, intense about yeah. it. I'll tell you why. Okay, I've been doing this. This is my 20, 25th year in professional baseball. Okay, I've been dealing with 16 to 25-year-olds my entire professional life. Okay, this is what I've done. The number one issue that we have when players are, are struggling uh, in their personal life, it deals with relationships. And you can, when, when, it, when they really mess up and you ask them why and you sit down with them, it's all the same message. Mm. I can write the script. Wow. They talk about pornography. And we've had, we've had issues uh, just in camp with guys. And when you sit down and talk to them about it, I mean, they'll tell you. I mean, they trace it back. And uh, it's, it's a major thing that we're going to need to deal with. And for us to look the other way, uh, I, I would rather, um, it's like I told our guys, I would rather go 0-162 as an organization than see any of our players or any of our staff or any of our coaches or managers or front office personnel personnel fail because of, um, of pornography and, and, and relationships and I mean that's but I know the end game with this yeah. too yeah okay so yeah. I know if that we can 
if we can help come alongside and, and with our players and our people, again, they're genetically gifted. They're going to be freed up and they're going to do fine on the field. That's what they do. It's what they've been doing since they were little boys. It's not work to them. Yeah, they yeah. can hardly ever recall a day in their life where they haven't thought or dreamt about the game of baseball. That's the easy part for them. It's the other things that come alongside of it. And it's definitely the part where the majority of their life is going to be because mm -hmm. it's all going to come to an end no, no matter no matter you saw George Brett Hall of Famer walking around the, the compound just a few moments ago he'll have a far longer life outside of a player no than inside right so that's no what doubt. you're that's what you're talking about no doubt I mean if they're if they're yeah. really really good players yeah they're done at 35 and then they've got 50 to 60 years left you know so yeah, yeah. it's uh, I'm so encouraged by this so um, Look, look, you've been in professional sports, baseball, how long did you say? This is my 25th year. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You're still a young guy. Mm -hmm. You're still a young guy, right? He's got a lot of tread left on those tires. I hope so. But I'd like you to think back, and you're talking about dealing with these 16 to 25-year-olds. Mm -hmm. That's a that's that's pretty bold to put your career in the mm -hmm. hands of those kind yeah. of folks, right? I get that, and that's, that's part of coaching and athletics. But what advice would you give to the 20-year-old Dayton Moore? Looking back, what advice would you give to the 20-year-old oh, you? Don't compare yourself to other people. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've learned that, um, you know, comparison, it's, it's the killer of contentment. It's the killer of joy. It's the killer of harmony. It's the killer of unity. It's the killer of peace. And those are everything that we want in relationships. That's what we want in our family. We want joy. We want peace. We want harmony for our team to be successful, our, our, our organization, our committee. Uh, whatever you're on, you need peace, harmony, togetherness. You start getting that world of comparison, it'll beat you up. I mean, you can't slay the originality of you. We're all unique. Uh, we've been mm -hmm. we've been made unique um, by our Creator. We we all have uh, uh, God has a plan for each and every one of us, and um, you know He's going to use us all. And and I've learned that. Uh, you know, 2.2 GPA in high school, um, you know, wasn't a very good student. Uh, education was really never stressed in my family. Came from a, a blue collar family that I'm very, very proud of. Um, and, uh, but a hard working family, a loving family. And, um, you know, I know that I'm sitting here because of God. And God uses the people that are willing, not the smartest, not the prettiest. Um, doesn't, doesn't matter what family you came from, he, he's willing, he's, he wants to use us all. You just got to surrender and go do it. Let him use you. Fantastic. And so I think it's a great time to transition. Let's talk about the real reason that I wanted to come. Mm -hmm. We wanted to learn the background and the philosophy of leadership. But the real reason that we wanted to come talk with you, Dayton, is because of your faith. And that's what we're all about here at Bottom Line Faith, is how are we applying our faith yeah. to the bottom line, right? Tell us a little bit. How, how did you come to a faith in Christ? Tell us about that journey, and then we'll talk. Well, about my, my mother and father, um, and, and we didn't grow up in, a, in I would say, a, a family that was really... Uh, committed the way I believe it needs to be committed but my, my parents made sure that their children were in Sunday school and and uh, in, in around uh, the people that uh, you know could uh, to help grow us in our faith and I remember I gave my life to, to Christ when I was in third grade I really it didn't become real to me until I went away to college though uh, when I was 19 I was away from home for the first time starting uh, life was starting to move fast uh, I had freedom, if you will, and um, made some mistakes um, that I'm not proud of. And, and then so, um, you know, that's when my faith started to become more real to me and, and, and understanding that without that faith uh, and without people around me, they're going to help me be accountable. Uh, I've got a chance to, to really do some damage 
uh, and uh, so it, it, that, that's when it really became real to me. And was there a moment, uh, was there a crisis, was there something that like where it just really clicked or was it more of just a process for more you? More of a process yeah. more yeah. than anything else, truthfully. Um, and I, I, still, I still am, I mean, and um, obviously I'm very outspoken uh, about my faith and always have been. Uh, Tim Cash, one of my mentors, told me early on. He said, "You, you know, it's better to be, uh, you know, prose uh, prosecuted for who you are than praised for something you're not." And so I, I would rather to, you know, just deal with whatever people are thinking about me. But I, but I know, like I said, anything good in me, I know where it comes from. Yeah. And so, uh, Lynn, how, how does that faith and value system, I mean, like, anchor you in this mm -hmm. high pressure, glass house world? You talked about if you knew early on all the demand, how it would stress and hurt your family or put, you know, right. how's your faith anchored you through all that? You know, I love to lead. I'm passionate about leadership. Yeah. I'm committed to leadership. Um, but I realized that uh, leadership is, begins and ends with putting others first. And so Philippians 2.3 has always been an important verse for me in leadership. Um, Jesus came here to serve. In fact, on my, on my uh, shoes today, I've got Mark 10.45. It reminds me that uh, you know I'm here to serve like Jesus was. He's here to serve. My faith reminds me that I got to forgive every single day, because there's always somebody saying something or writing something. Um, I don't ever want to become bitter. I don't want to get frustrated. I don't want to feel that burnout. And when I do feel that, which I do at times, yeah. I can always trace it back to the forgiveness piece. There's something in my life that uh, that I need to deal with. It is a, a relationship that I need to to mend a dispute that needs to be settled. Yeah. Um, but my faith is so important. I'm reminded that, you know, uh, the disciples walked, walked with Jesus for three years and they, they had broke bread with him. They had meals with him. They saw the miracles, they touched him. And what did they do? They betrayed him. Yeah. And what did Jesus do? He forgave them. So as a leader, I know that our leadership team our entire organization, they're going to second guess me at times. And in fact, they may do some things um, that, uh, that I simply don't appreciate, some things that are hurtful. But I've learned that I've got to forgive each and every day and uh, be able to, to move on. And I know that Jesus has taken care of all the noise. That, that, is, that is so encouraging, right? And so on that note, again, let's, let's assume there's somebody listening right now, business leader, ministry leader and they're dealing with something, a big decision, and maybe there's something holding them back, some anger, some disappointment, heartbreak. Just give them a word of encouragement, would you? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's often times that, that, uh, that I, you know, I stay wounded at times, yeah. you know. Um, uh, something doesn't go right, a decision that we make, a player that we bring in, um, a person that you promote and you feel like they're the absolute right person and then they disappoint you. Uh, and then, so the next time you have to make that decision, oftentimes you get a little gun shy, if you will, a little fearful that you're going to make the same mistake. Um, but I've learned that you, you can't stay wounded. You, you have to move on from uh, you know, some of those poor decisions and poor choices. You know, we had a situation the other day. Um, I've, I've got a rule in, um, um, with our, in our weight room, okay, where I don't care what music you play, I don't care what music you play. I don't care how loud you play it, but I don't want to hear, you know, vulg vulgarity. I don't want to hear uh, words that don't honor women. And so uh, when that occurred, um, I reacted instead of responding. In fact, I used language that I wouldn't permit 
uh, anybody to use, okay? And so uh, and it was embarrassing to me. So the next day I got the entire group together and I apologized. I told them that I needed to do a better job of learning to respond instead of react. Um, it's one of the things that I need to be held accountable with. And, um, you know, so those are the, you've got to be transparent, you've got to be vulnerable. And um, I, I think without that, I think your, your leadership uh, is not going to be as authentic as it needs to be and, and, and you're not going to develop those trusting relationships. That's a great principle to respond rather than react, right? And that's, that's as Jesus said, it's okay to be angry, mm -hmm. but don't sin in that anger. What well, humility. I in that oh, anger. I understand. Okay. And I, I, <laughs> believe me, I do that way too often. But what I love about that is, and thank you for sharing that because that's showing authenticity, that's showing, you know, humility as a leader, not only in this interview, but in front of your organization. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's got to go a long way, right? Not that you're trying to, you know, prove something, but you're just trying to model something. That's right. the authentic self that we're talking well, about. Well, I, I think so. And, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, in professional sports and baseball, 162 games a year, it's, it's every single day. Um, you know, sometimes we don't get enough sleep. Sometimes we're not eating right. Um, there's, there's different challenges throughout yeah. the day. But I've learned the importance of, of preparation and making sure that you, you get your sleep, you get time away to think, to pray, to read. Uh, make sure you have people around you uh, that you can confide in and they're going to speak truth and honesty yeah. into your life. Yep. And, yep. you know, one thing that I do every spring training, I bring our, our pastor, uh, Christian Newsom, uh, to spring training. Uh, he spends three days with me. He, he sets on every one of my calls, every one of my meetings, um, and I am who I am. And, uh, and he'll, he'll give me honest feedback of, um, you know, what he would do differently, so maybe some potential blind spots or some areas that I might get uh, tripped up. And uh, so we, we talk about So what's things. been the toughest thing he said to you that really well, caused some great change for you? I, you know, I, I, I probably, I need to do more um, listening at times. Yeah. Uh, my pride will get in the way where okay. I think my opinion is, is the most important one. I'm, I'm a little too opinionated at times. Yeah. Um, and that's a pride thing that I have to deal with. So. Dayton, we're, we're, we're getting near the end. You've been so gracious. Just maybe two or three more questions here. But we would be remiss if we didn't learn from you how you win at home, win at church, and win in your walk with Christ. High demand, high exposure environment, obviously, in this role. But how do you go about winning at home, winning in your walk with Christ? Help us understand that. Well, my team's at home. Yeah. My most important responsibility is to be a husband and to be a father, yeah. um, you know, to, to love Marianne the way Christ loved the church. And that means I've got to be willing to die for my family. Yeah. Um, but I'm committed to, to um, my faith walk. Yeah. Um, prayer is a big, important part of what we do. Um, staying in, in scripture is an important part of, of what we do. Um, Christian music is an important part praise music of, of what we do on a daily basis. Those are the things that I need. And so sometimes Marianne will say, you know, maybe if we, we're having a tough, a tough time and, and uh, or because I'm trying to integrate back into the family's life and her day-to-day yeah. -day yeah. activities of being, you know, gone and I come home and, and if something happens, she'll say to me, she'll say, Dayton, just go in your office and turn on <laughs> your Christian music. And uh, I, I tell her, I said, you know what? If I didn't have that, you know how bad I would really be if I didn't have um, 
those types of influences. But yeah. everything you put into your mind and everything you put into your body is, is who and what you're going to become. It's going to be how you're, you're going to view life. And so um, I, I find that uh, how crucial that is, making sure I'm reading the right things, looking at the right things, studying the right things. Yeah. Uh, having the right uh, people around me yeah. again they're going to speak truth and honesty uh, into your life so so important I love it so Dayton th thank you again just for your generosity today and there's really just two more questions that, that I'd like to ask and so th this first one's a little quirky so if you'll give me a little grace I'd appreciate it but if you were sitting in my chair interviewing you hmm. what would be one question that you would want to ask you that I haven't asked Oh my gosh, that's why you're a journalist and I'm not. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would think um, uh, what your legacy, you mm. know, what, what you want your legacy to be. And um, again, one, one thing that I'm reminded about um, our faith is your life is just a vapor. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, I don't want to stay wounded in the past. I don't want to dwell on the mistakes that I've made. I know Jesus has those mistakes covered. Uh, I'm going to learn from him. Yeah. I'm going to move on from him in a way that I think is more productive going forward as a leader. I'm not going to get caught up in what, what tomorrow will, will be. And I've learned the importance of just being in delight where you are. So like the most important thing in the world to me right now is you. And so that's where I want to be. And I, I believe that that is uh, ultimately how you can, can influence for the kingdom. But we, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Yeah. Uh, you know, on my wall here is a picture of your Donovan our young, talented pitcher who um, lost his life in a car accident a little over a year ago. And so it's, it's a constant reminder that you've got to get it done today. There's no need to save anything for tomorrow. And if you're leading in a relentless and focused way, at the end of the day, you're exhausted, yeah. you're tired, and you sleep well at night. And the beauty of that is you wake up the next morning refreshed, energized with that fire oh, I love it. To, pursue, uh, yeah. to pursue leadership all over again. And so the days I don't sleep are the days when I know I've, I've kind of you know, cheated a little bit as far as in my leadership. I've cut corners. And um, so I think the legacy piece is, is so important. I mean, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Get it done today. Don't save anything for tomorrow. I'm not saving any bullets. I'm going to go for it today. Leave it all in the field, right? Leave it all in the field. Exactly. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, Dayton, the, the, the last question that I like to ask in every one of my interviews, it's the same one. So the folks who are regular listeners mm -hmm. to the program or viewers, they know we're at the end now because... Mm -hmm. This is what I like to call my 423 question. It's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, mm. for from it flows all of life, mm. right? And so there are some biblical scholars that believe that m those may have been some of his last words. He may have gathered his family, his loved ones around and said, I know I've written all these other things, all these other principles and truths, but I want you to remember this one thing, above all else, guard your heart. So Dayton... Let's say that uh, you have a chance towards the tail end of your time, this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your mm -hmm. friends, your loved ones, those who have been most precious to mm -hmm. you on this journey on mm -hmm. earth. And you have a chance to pass along one piece of advice. So fill in the blank for us, if you would, above all else. I want to be faithful to my wife. And so 
my, my, um, my goal, my personal goal on this earth is, is to glorify God with every, all the gifts that I've been given. Again, anything good in me comes from God, but I want to be able to look Marianne in the eye, whether I'm taking my last breath or she's taking her last breath, and that she knows that I've been faithful for her to her from the very beginning. And that's, that's so important to me. And if you're building teams and you're building legacy in your family, mm -hmm. trust, loyalty, commitment is crucial. And uh, I don't think it's possible without a faith walk. I don't think it's possible without being gut level honest with Jesus about what you're experiencing as a man and uh, to be able to serve your family and to serve your wife. And that's, that's why I exist. I mean, leadership begins and ends with putting others first. And if you can, if you can do that with the help of, of, of Jesus on a daily basis, you got a, you got a, a chance to, to, to accomplish that. Peyton, so. thank you for your time today. Okay, thanks, Ray. What Appreciate an honor. It. Thank you. My Folks, pleasure. we've had the incredible privilege of having some time here at the Kansas City Royals Complex at spring training in Arizona. We have been meeting and talking with Dayton Moore, the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. And I think you know why we were so excited to come have this conversation. A man who is leading with his faith. And that's what's most important. And that's what's most important here at Bottom Line Faith. Check out our other interviews at our website, bottomlinefaith.org. You can scroll down to the bottom of the page, become a regular subscriber of the program there. And you know that we have interviewed dozens and dozens of amazing leaders around the country from all walks of life and all areas of specialty. It's the one program that will help you grow in your faith and in your leadership. So until next time, I'm your host, Ray Hilbert, saying God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. <laughs>